Welcome to the inaugural Capital Allocators and Advisors podcast brought to you by Emmanuel Dat of Dat Capital. Today, I'm speaking with Matt Dinette, an advisor and partner at Coda Capital. Coda are Australia's preeminent independent wealth advisory, providing holistic advice for wealthy individuals, family groups, and nonprofits with no conflicts of interest. Coda operate on a partnership model and share a strong alignment of interests with their clients. Their emphasis on personal service and complete fee transparency has been a hit with clients and partners alike. Matt was recently included in a list of Australia's top 50 financial advisors put together by Barron's, along with a number of other Coda partners. Thank you, Matt, for joining us today. Can you please start by telling us how you got into this line of work? Yeah, definitely. So I've always had a passion for numbers, uh, business in general, investment markets, but most importantly, working with people. Uh, so I guess it's no surprise that I've ended up um, doing what I do today, um, advising clients on you know their wealth management needs. Uh, but my, di- my career actually didn't start off uh, doing what I'm doing today. So after completing a commerce degree, my first role out of uni was actually as an accountant. Mm-hmm. Went off and did my professional study as a chartered accountant. Um, which was a really great place to start my career, just to give me a a great background into how businesses work, the tax system, um, how it all works together. And then after working as an accountant for about four years, um, an opportunity presented itself to work at a multifamily office, which turned out to be a fantastic um, decision that I made and opportunity that I took. Uh, It was from there that quite a young age, I was given um, the opportunity to work with um, a small book of clients and it's something that I'm, you know, be forever grateful for because it's given me, I guess, the stepping stone to build my own personal brand uh, and the ability to develop as an advisor and ultimately to be the advisor and partner at uh, Coda that I am today and having lots of fun. Fantastic. Did you always feel compelled to become a wealth advisor in terms of profession? Uh, not necessarily. Like, it's probably easy to say, yes, now I'm doing it. Um, but let's be honest, when you finish university, uh, you don't really know where your studies are going to take you. Uh, I guess I was quite fortunate in that I was really interested in, you know, how business works um, and starting to learn about investment markets, starting to invest, you know, myself at the age of 18. Um, so you'll, I guess it's no surprises I've ended up here, but obviously over the journey, it's gone in sort of different directions. But, you know, we build and we learn along the way, so... It's been good. That's great. So is there anything in particular in your upbringing or background that you feel provides you with an edge in this field? From quite a young age, I've always been encouraged that, you know, that and told that, you know, hard work, you know, will pay off and you need to be patient. So I'm probably a quite a tough crit- critic on myself, but I've always had a really strong work ethic. Um, and that's, I guess, resulted in some, you know, fantastic outcomes for me. Um, also, you know, I've umpired football um, from quite a young age. I did that for about 14 years, so I built up a lot of resilience doing that. It also gave me the, the confidence that in a relatively young age through my teenage years um, that's, that's really helped me in my, my professional career to have you know, the tough conversations, to be you know, advising clients that are 20, 30, 40 years older than me, um, and to really back myself in. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and I guess the last thing would be probably not to ever take anything for granted in business. You often only get one opportunity to make a first impression, um, so you've got to be prepared well. You've got to, you know, don't put anything down to chance. You've got to go into everything and make every post a winner. Yeah, it must have been a 
very character-building exercise to mediate between grown men playing footy in a very passionate arena. Um, can you provide us a bit of detail about who your ideal client may be? So at Coda, we work with a range of different clients, uh, but generally speaking, it's clients that are in their, either the accumulation phase, um, but most of the clients we have have had their significant wealth creation event. So that is either through the sale of a business or a partial sale of a business or the recipient of a wealth transfer event, so such as inheritance and wealth moving through generations. Um, I also personally look after several non-profit clients as well, so I've got a really good mix of clients at different stages, all with different needs and objectives, so it's, it's a lot of fun as well. Fantastic. Can you tell us what's the most common myth in your field? Yeah, there's probably a few. Um, the one that comes to mind is that all advisors are the same. Um, I think I think when engaging an advisor, I think clients that haven't had an experience with their advisor assume that they are all the same, but they're actually all completely different. We're all a product of our experiences and, um, and events that we've dealt with. Um, each client um, needs a specific advisor. Um, and often they may have an advisor that isn't appropriate for them. Um, they may need someone that's more holistic. They may need someone that's more focused on just investment markets. They need, may need an advisor that's got the experience to help have conversations about succession and education of the next generation. So that's probably the biggest myth. Um, another one that comes to mind is that you know lots of clients feel that they can defer the need to get advice to a later date. Uh, and while that that can be possible for some clients you know from my experience you know it's time in the markets it's about having a plan and sticking to a plan and and letting that play out over the long term Um, because there's lots of things that happen you know during your life that can deviate the plan but without a plan you plan to fail that's what they say right so great so i suppose it's not a one-size-fits-all approach that suits most people um so following on from that what do you feel are the most important qualities and skills a wealth advisor should possess? Gee, there's a lot that come to mind, so let me just reel off a few. Um, firstly, I think the importance to be a good listener. Um, it's it's very easy in our profession to hear something and think that we know what a client wants um, without giving clients the opportunity to really tell their story and to listen. The end of the day we're given two ears and one mouth for a reason so i think that's the key thing that i think is important um you ultimately need to be trustworthy this is a business based on trust that you know can you know can be lost so we need to make sure that we don't take that for granted i think as well you, you know you need to have a genuine care for your clients you can't sugarcoat these things um clients can see through um the noise you know w- not before long and then yeah so essentially having genuine care you need to have a really strong work ethic you know there's times in our business where you need to do a lot of work really really quickly um, whether it's you know a life event for a client where you need to almost drop everything to help them whether it's you know rebalancing a portfolio because of a market move um, so the ability to be organized and disciplined is also really really critical um, but at the end of the day, you also need the um, experience and expertise to be advising clients. Um, and if you don't have it, you need to be willing to say to clients that you don't have the answer um, and not hold yourself out to know everything. I think the other important thing um, as an advisor you know, to, to result in great outcomes for clients is you need to have a really strong alignment. Um, I don't think you can be generally giving clients the best advice unless you're sitting on the same side of the table as they are. 
Um, you know, we're fortunate at Coda is that you know we have a fantastic partnership model um, where we have a really strong alignment as equity owners in the business with our clients. Um, we, you know, we think and act like business owners. Um, and there's also that you know the importance of that is there's a longevity of the relationships that we have. This is this is a long-term um, decision for people to join Coda. Just like we hope that it's a long-term decision that you know clients make when they engage us as their advisory partner. So while we're on that, um, can you please explain the difference between uh, going to a sole financial advisor versus hiring a person like yourself who's at a firm like Coda? Yeah, good question. Look, at the end of the day, as I as I mentioned, you know each individual client has an advisor that they're most suited to. So some clients are suited to firms that you know are used to looking after clients with significant balance sheets um, that have significant needs. Um, whereas some clients just need a you know a basic wealth wealth accumulation or preservation plan. So I don't think it's right to say that all clients should be in one spot. Every client you know should choose based on their certain circumstances. Um, I do think it is important, though, that you know that you are only looking after clients that you have experience and you know and and you know and expertise looking after. So, and that's why at Coda we're quite we're quite disciplined in terms of the clients that we take on um, to be able to provide the level of service that we do to our clients. You know, we can only do that when we work with a small number of larger clients. Um, whereas, you know, say a smaller firm, you know, the average advisor might look after 100, 150 um, clients. So obviously they're going to be a larger number of smaller clients. I do understand that Coda are an independent wealth advisor. Uh, can you perhaps explain to us exactly what that means? Correct. So as you know, there's, there's been a lot of changes in the industry uh, and many more changes to come off the back of the Royal Commission. So when Coda was established, you know, the basis of it was that when you're giving advice to clients that all conflicts of interest must be removed. So in order to remove conflicts of interest, you need to make sure that first of all, from an ownership perspective, that you are completely independent. So we at Coda, we have no alignment with any banks or vertically integrated models. Uh, we're actually a privately owned business. So everyone in the business owns equity in the firm. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, we think and act like business owners and we think that that's the best outcome for our clients. But also on the investment front, so you can't generally hand on heart say that you are providing the best advice for your clients if you're receiving a commission or a kickback or if you're recommending any product that's manufactured internally where there's the perception that it may not be in the client's best interest. So at Coda, we don't manufacture any product in-house. We're purely an advice business and the advice we provide is in the best interest of our clients. We'll also heavily negotiate, um, you know, fund manager fees on behalf of clients and all of those benefits will go back to clients as well, whereas most firms will keep them. So I think hand on heart, when you can remove all of the conflicts of interest, it actually makes my job of being an advisor more enjoyable and, and actually quite easy because we can just focus back on the client in terms of what they need uh, and then delivering solutions for the long term. That sounds fantastic, Matt. And it certainly does make sense to me. I think having that ability to stand in the shoes of your client and make a decision what's best for them, free of any conflicts, is something we'll see more and more of in the future. Uh, So Matt, one thing that I've always questioned, how important do you consider longevity in the wealth management space? 
It's absolutely critical. So, you know, we spoke a lot about trust before. Um, trust is not developed overnight. It takes, you know, months, years in many cases to develop. You know, when clients are, from their perspective, taking a risk, engaging someone to help them manage their wealth, um, they want to make sure that if they're opening up to them and telling them their life story, um, that they're going to be there for the long term. And also, you know, clients these days, they're thinking about the next generation. They're thinking about, you know, is this advisor going to be appropriate, you know, after my lifetime? Am I comfortable that they can form a relationship with my children? So longevity is absolutely critical. And I guess that does make sense because, for example, if you're a younger person, you may want to uh, grow with an advisor from my perspective. But also, if you're an older person, you may feel more comfortable with an advisor, you know, more similar to your life cycle. Definitely, without a doubt. I've found that, you know, during my career, towards the end of my 20s, um, it was more difficult. Um, but, you know, now I'm currently mid-30s. Um, I'm at that age where I can relate really well to my clients who are in their 40s, 50s and 60s and also their children that are in their 20s and 30s. Um, there seems to be an increasing um, demand to talk about the next generation um, and about education and succession and psychology of making decisions um, and you know a lot of clients want you know a young active um, advisor that wants to have a long-term you know you know role in their family yeah that makes perfect sense to me Matt I can think of an example where I may have children who are young adults and I'd definitely like to have a trusted advisor to perhaps counsel them post my passing on um, have you had any instances like that? Yeah, without a doubt. Like, as I mentioned, realistically, it's probably 50% of my uh, private client base were having active conversations with the next generation. And, you know, they range in age from usually 20s up to 40s um, and also at different levels of engagement. So I guess my role is to help educate um, and to guide um, and to, to help them along their journey. It's about, you know, it's about continuous learning it's about not just relying on me as their advisor to get everything done. It's about, you know, having someone that they trust that they can lean on um, to ask questions about, you know, purchasing a home or whether or not we should be, you know, going into debt or whether we're using funds. Um, but, yeah, it's it's definitely the thing that's keeping clients up at night. You know, investment markets will always be volatile. Um, but, you know, it's it's the family uh, and making sure that, you know, you're your, your family's looked after after your lifetime, which is something that we're spending a lot of time talking to clients about. Okay, great. Um, could you give us a bit of insight into the demographics of the professional advice space uh, in terms of the practitioners themselves? Definitely. So, look, it, it, it's a changing demographic. Like anything, there's you know people at the start of their career and, and people at the end of their career. Um, there are a lot of changes coming through in terms of education requirements, which, are, you know, make it a little bit harder for people at the end of their career. So, you know, we're finding that there's a lot of um, older advisors that maybe are hanging up the boots a little bit earlier. Um, you know, how many young advisors coming through? I don't know. But, you know, the, the increased, uh, I guess, pressure on continue, continuous education means that I guess the advisors that are left are the ones that really do care about their clients. We're also seeing, I guess, a consolidation, you know, within the industry of how clients are serviced. Um, there's obviously increased costs to manage compliance that, that filters through into, you know, advice businesses' bottom lines. 
Um, so it's about getting the right model within a firm to allow advisors who think and act like business owners to provide unconflicted advice to their clients. So that is the challenge facing a lot of firms and advisors at the moment. There's a lot of fantastic advisors that potentially aren't at the right firms. Um, there's a lot of, you know, I guess, f- firms that are, are still operating that they were the same way that they were 10 or 20 years ago um, that isn't necessarily in the best interest of clients and they're quickly trying to work out how they can adjust, which is very, very difficult. So, Do you feel that the renewed emphasis on conflict of interests is speeding up that renewal process? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I guess it's somewhat easier for, you know, for advisors at Coda because, you know, when our model was established, it was always what is in the best interests of clients. Um, you know, we had the benefit of starting with a blank piece of paper, be it that it was quite hard at the time, to say, well, what are the key things that, you know, high net wealth families and non-profit clients need? Um, well, they need advice that's unconflicted, that's in their best interest, they need access to you know, the best quality people um, that have experience um, and that are generally acting in their best interests. And at the end of the day, we just try and keep things quite simple because often that results in the best uh, outcomes for clients. Okay, Matt, thanks for that. Uh, on a more personal note, how do you invest in your own portfolio? Yeah, good question. So at the end of the day, I adopt uh, the same principles and philosophies that I advise my own clients on. Um and, you know, sometimes you need to remind yourself, you need to, you know, give, you know, follow the same track that your clients are going down. But essentially, it's it's quite simple. So having a long-term view and not letting short-term noise deviate that, I think that's, I guess, one of the most important things that I, I try and abide by. Um, a real focus on diversification. So, you know, not everything works when we're investing. So making sure that our mistakes don't undo all of our hard work where we've made the right decisions. So, you know, it's an old saying, but making sure we don't have all of our eggs in, in one basket. Um, you know, so obviously, you know, there's a mix of property and equities and cash. You know, everyone needs the right amount of liquidity. Um, the, also, you know, the focus on risk and return is something that I think about personally a lot. You know, am I getting disproportionately rewarded for the risk that I'm taking? If I'm not, well, then it's not worth taking that risk. Because if you've got a long-term view, there will be more opportunities to, you know, to participate in markets at a later date. Um, and the last thing um, is, you know, managing debt carefully, uh, really carefully. So debt, you know, can be really attractive if managed correctly. Um, unfortunately, people don't manage debt correctly. So, you know, making sure that, you know, if you're, you have the ability for debt to be deductible, that it is deductible, um, making sure that you're paying off non-deductible debt first. Um, you know, a lot of basic things to us aren't necessarily you know basic for our clients but yeah that's essentially the philosophy that you know my clients will you know work Mm. towards and you know i adopt a similar process yeah sure so it'd be accurate to say that your personal investment philosophy is carried through to your professional life without a doubt yes And, and a number of the investments that my clients invest in you know will be investing alongside them as well so we've also got that alignment which is good so when you first started out what do you wish you knew before you started? <laughs> yeah, it's a really, it's, a, it's actually a really good question. I think I didn't realise how rewarding it would be. You know, you know, I'm now 13 years into my career, 
um, how rewarding it would be to form the long-lasting relationships with my clients that I've developed. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of, I guess, something that you hope will happen, but you never know. But now you're here, you realize just how rewarding it is. And it makes you hungry to ultimately add more value to your clients and just to see what level you can take that to, which is the real exciting part of, I guess, my role as an advisor. Is there anything in particular that you're especially curious or interested in at the moment? Being an advisor, we're always you know curious about how investment marks work, how we think they're going to work based on history and how when they don't work like that, you know, why? Mm. Um, so that's something that I've, you know, I'm always curious about. Um, something that I've had more of an interest in recently is actually the psychology of how people invest, um, how we make decisions. As I mentioned, I do a lot on the education front with, mm. with my clients and their children. We talk a lot about psychology, um, personality, um, different mental models and how that flows through into making decisions, good, bad and indifferent. Um, a lot of mistakes are made based on preconceived mental models and you know, just I think one's understanding of their own personality mm. I think is really important in assessing how you would make investment decisions and mm. potentially how you can save yourself from making some bad ones. Um, so I guess the psychology is the, is the, is a really interesting thing that I'm spending a bit of time on recently. So, Yeah, I think that's a really powerful theme. You always have to be developing yourself professionally and personally. Definitely. You need a curious mind. Like, you know, we're in an ever-changing world and it's not a set and forget, whether it's from an investment perspective, whether it's from a structuring perspective. Um, Things are always changing. So we need to, you know, move with the times and constantly, um, you know, develop. Can you describe for us the challenging situation you've encountered and how you've overcome it? Yeah, sure. So I guess guess the situation I am in at the moment, having personally built my business within Coda it's probably been one of the most challenging things I've ever done but on the same side on the same uh, side also the most rewarding um, you know when often if things were easy everyone would do it um, you know reality is building a business is hard it's about building trust within your network it's about creating a new network from scratch it's about um, working with people who trust you, that are willing to refer clients in. And ultimately, it's it's when you get the opportunity to, to be an advisor for a client, um, to provide them with the best work that you can and to add value from many different um, angles and aspects. Um, so I guess how I've overcome that is it's just hard work and perseverance at the end of the day. It's a it's a, a never give up attitude, you know. It's it's a bit of a roller coaster ride, um, building a business, and you know, there's always things that are that are thrown at you. Um, but I think maintaining the you know the determination and the focus is what gets you through at the end of the day. And then I guess I'm now f- nearly four years on um, at Coda um, with with building my business here. And as I said, it's been the most rewarding thing I've done from a professional perspective. Um, and I've, I'm fortunate enough to work with, you know, uh, some amazing clients that, you know, would consider me an extension of their family and there's, there's trust that's been built and, and I'm happy to say that I feel like I've added a lot of value, which is really important. Fantastic. And just on that same line, um, I'd imagine you'd have clients who are business owners. Do you find that you've been able to glean some gems off them in terms of building your own business? Yeah, definitely. Uh, look, the way I structure my relationships with clients is it's it's always two way, two ways. Like, I hope that I teach them a lot. I hope that they get a lot of value from me. But I also learn a lot from my clients. You know, from their experiences. 
you know, what we do for one family or one organisation we can do with another. Um, but more importantly, you know, we, we get exposure to a lot of mistakes that people make. Um, so we can, you know, share those learnings with others so they don't make those mistakes. But it's also, you know, it's fun to be on the ride with our clients. You know, we've got a number of clients that have sold, you know, strategic stakes in very successful businesses and, you know, and they're working to sell the remaining half, you know, over the next three to five years and, and watching them go through that process and being alongside them is, is really rewarding for us as well. So, Can you tell us a little bit about some of the interesting situations or clients you've come across? Yeah, definitely. Well, I've worked with a number of different clients, all from different backgrounds and experiences. So I think each individual client brings their, has their own interesting story, I guess. But a few that come to mind is, you know, some sad, some some not some happy stories. But, you know, I've had clients that have inherited, you know, tens of millions of dollars at such a young age. So that's been um, obviously such a sad thing for their clients, for our clients that we've helped them through but also such an interesting thing where you've got such a large amount of money at such a young age and what does that actually mean for you in helping clients through that? Mm -hmm. Um, I've met with people that have won significant amounts of money, you know, from Tats Lotto, Mm -hmm. which is an interesting Mm -hmm. one. Um, You know, they'd have probably thought that they'd been introduced to advisors like us earlier on in the piece. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Other situations where I've had clients that have run really, really successful businesses that have almost been down and out they've been down to their last dollar and they've been man- they've managed to turn that around and then get that to a point where you know five years later they've been able to sell that for a, you know a large sum of money and and also to you know the other interesting thing i find is you know a lot of my clients have started their business from nothing so they've had a skill they've had an interest they've um they've had the determination and the passion to build something and five ten fifteen twenty years later they've sold the business which represents their life's work for you know 20 30 40 50 million dollars and i find that fascinating and leading on from that what do you find is the most common issue when speaking to clients yeah i'd probably say to no fault of clients it's having a short-term focus you know it's it's actually tricky not to have a short-term focus because you know all the noise is now. Um, everything we read is now. Um, so I guess it's it's trying to help them navigate back to their original plan that we set to say, what is your long-term goals? What are you trying to achieve? What level of risk are you willing to take to get there? Um, and just really helping them get back on track. So I think, you know, having a short-term focus is definitely one of the biggest things I, you know, we're trying to educate our clients to say, you know, let's focus on the long-term. But I think that's just controlling human nature because human nature is always focused on where do I get my next meal from in the short term um what's the finest compliment you've received well from a professional perspective um I would say you know I've had clients you know actually open up to me and say the material difference that you know I've personally made to their lives um you know that the fact that they've got personal financial peace of mind knowing that that someone else is looking at things for them and they're going to be okay and but i think the key would be when a client actually looks you in the eyes and says you know i really trust you for the work that you do and you know when clients say thank you that's what we really really like you know we do a lot of i think great work for our clients we spend a lot of hours on things to add value to them and it's it's really nice to you know feel appreciated yeah it must be a special feeling when someone uh you know, compliments you in that manner. Without a doubt. Look, we're doing what we do to add value and yeah. it's nice to know that we do that. So, yeah. 
And how do you measure your uh, success? That's a really good question. Um, I've got pretty high standards of myself. So as I mentioned before, I'm a pretty tough critic. Um, but I think it's it's when I'm achieving things, but also having fun along the way. Um, it's it's too easy to get caught up in the day to day. You know, there's always more opportunities. There's always more things we could be doing. But at the end of the day, if you're not having fun along the way, life's pretty short, right? So yeah. if you know, trying to get that balance right between you know the professional, adding value to your clients, but also being quite centered and and, and enjoying yourself along the way is important. Matt, so you made the Barons Top 50 Advisor list this year. Um, was it the first time that you made the list? Yeah, first time to be included on the list. So it was um, a bit of a surprise. I wasn't necessarily expecting it, but it's nice to be rewarded um, for you know for the hard work and, and ultimately, hopefully, for the value that I'm providing to my clients and, and to Coda. So. so how did you go through the process and what was the criteria? So basically, Barron's, which is a publication put together through the um, Australian Financial Review, sent uh, a number of advisors based in Australia a really detailed questionnaire to learn more about their business, the type of clients, how many clients they manage, the average size of those clients, um, what our philosophy is for providing advice, um, making sure that there is no conflicts of interest and things like that, size of our team. And then all that data was created uh, or collated into a database. And then that came out with um, a ranking of the top 50 advisors in Australia. So there's a lot of different advisors on there. Um, it was fantastic that Coda had a number of advisors on that list this year, which we're really, really happy about. And there's no reason why we won't have more in future years. Um, and I think it's just an outcome of our focus for adding value to our clients, our unconflicted model. Um, and we genuinely care about what we do for our clients. So just to clarify, the advisors on that list, there's a mixture of independent and affiliated advisors. Is that correct? Yeah, I think the the focus has been um, in recent years on independent and completely independent firms. I guess it really comes down to what is your definition of independent and how far do you want to look. Um, you know, one thing that we know is that, you know, at Coda, we are genuinely independent. Um, but, you know, you know, you know, and that's that's a discussion for another day. Um, but yeah, there's different types of firms, whether it's you know smaller independent single practitioners, whether it's you know big organisations, investment banks, uh, and then also the you know the the independent boutiques like Coda that sit in the middle as well. So, well, thanks a lot, Matt, for taking the time to speak with us and explain a little bit more about yourself and Coda Capital. I find it quite an enlightening and insightful conversation and i'm sure our listeners did too uh finally what's the best way for people to get in touch with you or to follow you yeah no worries. firstly you know it's been my pleasure i've enjoyed the conversation as well um yeah if anyone would like to get in touch so i can be contacted uh, via linkedin um and or via my email which is matthew.donat at codacapital.com so m-a-t-t-h-e-w dot d-o-n-a-t at K-O-D-A-C-A-P-I-T-A-L dot com. Okay, fantastic. Thanks a lot, Matt. No, thank you.